Hello, welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. I'm your host, and I am the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. We do this podcast to try to hit upon some of the key economic and international financial policy issues of the day, trying every now and then to put in a little bit of uh, politics and U.S. policy angle on it. Today, I want to talk about Eastern Europe. So let me explain why. Last year on this podcast, we had a number of episodes trying to address the effects of sanctions and the economic impact, particularly from energy and food, because of the Russia invasion of Ukraine. But an area we did not cover as much was the impact on the region itself. With President Biden going this week to Poland, I thought maybe it was a time that we tried to address this. So there are three things that I thought I would try to look at. The first is the economic impact on Ukraine itself. The second is the negative impact and the challenges that have happened in the region because of what's happened, not totally because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but largely because of that. And third, to do something I hardly ever do, I want to maybe look at a little of the optimistic side of this thing. So let's start with Ukraine. In addition to, obviously, a very horrific humanitarian situation, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been terrible from an economics perspective. Ukraine is expected from 2022 to have contracted its economy by well over 30%. Now, let me put that in context. That would be like the United States getting rid of the states of California, Texas, and New York's economies combined. Or a different way of thinking of it, it would be getting rid of the 35 smallest states. As you can imagine, that is tremendous and terrible. And some of that impact continues on. Now, both the World Bank and the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, known as the EBRD, are predicting that Ukraine will have pretty much flat economic growth this year. Now, that is largely because they're coming off of this terrible base of 2022, which I just mentioned. But the Russians have been able to target or have been targeting critical infrastructure in Ukraine. In fact, they have damaged half of the power grid in Ukraine. So this could even be optimistic on that front. A couple other issues that are important to think about. In the short term, financing. There is a big financing gap. In 2022, a lot of the financing was provided by donors, the United States, the European Union, and others, including the international financial institutions like the IMF or the World Bank. Right now, Ukraine is actually in the midst of negotiating with the IMF on a new program. The reason is, is because in 2023, it looks like there will be another financing gap. That gap could be anywhere from our estimates of 35 to $45 billion in balance of payment support. So they're trying to negotiate with the IMF to try to figure out what the IMF could do to support it, along with the United States, the European Union, the United Kingdom, other donors, including the multilateral development banks, such as the World Bank, the EBRD, and the European Investment Bank. So that's the short term. The long term is even more alarming. The World Bank estimates that reconstruction costs in Ukraine over the long term could be in the neighborhood of $375 billion. There are other estimates out there that double this cost. 
Now, what is $375 billion in Ukrainian context? It's That's roughly one and a half of their GDP. So in other words, their complete economy, one and a half times that, is how much reconstruction would cost. Or if the doubling is right, then it may be three times their GDP. That is daunting. So Ukraine is going through a lot from a humanitarian standpoint, from a political standpoint, but clearly, unfortunately, from a bad economic standpoint. Now, how does this affect the other parts of the region, the countries that basically are around Ukraine and Russia, for that matter, and that are in between the Western Europe and Russia? In 2022, what we saw was a few things. The first is really not necessarily related to this crisis, which is the fall off in consumption, which happens as there was the kind of after effects of the pandemic. And so consumption rose, but then as that started to wear off, then consumption started to fall. At the same time, Russia invaded Ukraine, which was almost exactly one year ago. That raised a lot of problems. First, it, there is the higher energy prices that we've talked about many times. This has led to an increase in inflation in the region. Second, the dependence in the region on export. So they export a lot to the European Union and to Russia. So Russia is, was going to be pretty much out. And so it became a problem of could the European Union, their economies were being hit very hard. On top of that, we saw much tighter financial conditions as inflation rose, interest rates increased in both the European Central Bank, the Fed, and other central banks around. There were refugees that were coming from Ukraine, particularly in countries like Poland. And there's the politics. Hungary and, to a lesser extent, Poland have had some pretty significant economic battles with the overall European Union over the last few years, but it intensified in 2022. I was listening to this deputy central bank governor from Hungary who recently said, the era of moderation has turned into the era of tension. I thought that was a good summation of what could be happening. But let me turn to something that gives me a little bit of optimism. The optimism for the region is in terms of gas prices, they've started to decline. They declined beginning last quarter of last year and have continued to decline. That seems to be largely due to the fact that storage capacity for energy has been up. The winter has been much more mild than anybody expected. And there have been more and more alternative sources to Russian energy imports for the region itself. This means that inflation, while still a big problem, has started to come down. And central banks are now in the region trying to figure out how to change their policy mix, just like the ECB has been trying to figure it out, and just like the Federal Reserve here in the United States has been trying to figure it out. Maybe a different issue that has come out is that supply chain disruptions that we saw due to the pandemic, due to what's been going on in China with its COVID lockdowns, and due to, to Russia, have actually led towards a lot more businesses and financing to look towards the Eastern European region as a potential diversification strategy in terms of supply chain. 
We have seen this in the increase in FDI in the region. FDI stands for foreign direct investment. So there, that means that there is actually investors that are putting direct investments, not portfolio investment, but actually direct investment into the region. As I said, partially as diversification strategy, but partially because they see decently sound macroeconomic policies and a, and a possibility of better profits in the region. We've seen this probably most prominently in Poland, but we're also seeing it in other parts of the region. So overall, it's hard to be too optimistic about what's happening in Eastern Europe. And their economies are going to be flat or even decline a little bit this year. And part of that is also dependent on how well does the rest of Europe do going into 2023. But I have to say that some of the optimism I was just in the region. I didn't expect to have any optimism. I came away with much more than I expected. And, I, and so hopefully that turns out to be right. So now it's time for the three, two, one. This is the three takeaways from this podcast. The two things I'm looking forward to that are related and my one sports fact of the week. So the three things that I take away are first, the economic and financial impact on Ukraine has been dramatic beyond belief, and it's hard to actually put it into words as to how bad it's been. Second, the challenges that the Eastern European and Central European region face because of a number of factors, but particularly Russia's invasion of Ukraine, are significant. But third, there is some optimism. And we should keep that in mind as investors are clearly starting to look at the region in a, a new light, in a new way through different geopolitical changes that were accelerated by Russia, but not dictated by Russia. The two things that I'm looking forward to, first is the results of the IMF Ukraine negotiations on trying to figure out how to get balance of payment support. They're in the middle of those negotiations right now, and they will have to continue onward. And second, and something I didn't mention earlier, was that Croatia, one of the countries in the region, joined the Eurozone uh, starting in January 1 this year. And they have um, been changing over their local currency into the Euros. I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not how well does that experiment work for Croatia and does that lead you towards a point where countries such as Poland or Czech Republic could be joining in the near future? And now my one sports fact of the week. So I was recently in Austria. And when I was there, one of the key sports issues of the day is the World Championship of Skiing. So the World Championships are going on right now. As of the recording of this podcast, there are still two more events to go in the World Championships. And one of those events, the, the slalom, is Michaela Schifrin's best event. So it's possible that she will actually become the individual that has won the most golds of all time. She also has seven gold medals tied for the most. And she could possibly this weekend win her eighth. The second story has been the rise of a young Swiss skier named Marco Odermont. 
Now he, for those that follow skiing, is probably not as much of a rise as he was for me because he has won nine of 13 giant slaloms this year on the circuit. But what I found interesting was that he is only 25 years old. He has won two individual gold medals in the downhill and the giant slalom. He is the youngest man to win two gold medals at a world championships in the last eight world championships. And then the third story, and maybe it's because I was in Austria, is that not one Austrian skier has won a gold medal in any event this year. They've won some silvers. They've won some bronzes, which is, of course, very impressive. But they have not won yet any individual gold medal, which is, if that keeps up, there are only two events left. If that keeps up, it'll be the first time in 34 years not one Austrian has won a gold medal. Anyway, I was just in Austria, so I'll be rooting for the Austrians, but it may not happen this this go around. So that's it for this week of current account. We would love to hear any feedback that you have. We do try to utilize it to improve the show. And you can get that feedback at podcasts at IIF.com. All of our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much and have a great week.